You're listening to The Shelter, Stories of Redemption. If you would like to donate to this ministry, please visit ProvidenceRescueMission.org. Now, here's your host, Michael David. Hey guys, Mike here. Welcome to The Shelter, where we tell stories of redemption. Today we have a great story from an awesome, awesome guy named David. How are you doing today, David? Very good, and you? Good. David, tell me about you. Who are you? Uh, my name is Dave Oliver. Uh, first and foremost, I am a follower of Christ. Uh, that hasn't always been the case. Um, I had reached out for God over the years. I referred to myself now as I was then. I used to be a pseudo-Christian. Uh, I would identify as a Christian, but I certainly wasn't living as one. Um, and I had to, the most difficult lessons are the most valuable ones. At least that's the way it turned out for me. Yeah. So where did you grow up? Like, where were you, where were you from? I'm from, uh, originally I was born and raised in Providence, Rhode Island. Nice. And how was your upbringing? Mom and dad, brother, sisters? I had good parents. Uh, unfortunately, my dad was killed uh, June 17, 1978. Uh, he was a mechanic, and uh, there was a mishap at work, and he was crushed by a vehicle. Uh, that was pretty much the turning point of my life. I was 15 years old at the time. And uh, that incident basically introduced me and my mom uh to the church because now, we had how, we how had old you, how old are you at this time at that time yeah when your father I, passed away i was 15 now how was your relationship with your father up until his passing my dad was a very good he was a good man he was yep. a good provider uh he wasn't big on showing affection but i knew he loved me he was very good and uh very supportive I, I was in athletics. Uh, I had been a wrestler in high school. My dad showed up for every meet. Uh, I had been involved in hockey, uh, ice hockey. Uh, he was very, very supportive of things that I did. Uh, and yeah, a very good provider. Your dad reminds me of my dad. My dad is an old school Italian and super awesome dad. Um, but not very emotional, huggy, feely, kind of though my mom was, her side of the family. Funny story, when my mom and dad first met, now my dad's full-blooded Italian. My mom's half Italian, half Lebanese. So when my dad would go to my mom's family, they were hugging and kissing. My dad was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm having enough of this. <laughs> but um, like you said, though, growing up, my dad went to all my games. He provided it very well. Um, so yeah, we, I, I definitely can reminisce and understand that point of view. So now you're 15 years old. Your dad passes. How does that change or affect you at 15? Well, uh, the first thing that comes to mind about my parents, my parents loved me, so yeah. they wanted me to succeed. Uh, they, were ex they were very strict about my academics. Okay. Um, and... 
you know, amongst other things, uh, you know, my moral upbringing, so forth and so on. Now, when you say your moral upbringing, do you mean, were they... Well, I mean, the, the rights and wrongs, the general rights and wrongs of life. Sure, like, you know, uh, no drinking, no smoking in the house. Exactly. Stuff like that, okay. Think, things like that, and, and more. I mean, like, there were just certain things that, uh, you know, my, my parents tried to instill in me. Uh, when my dad had passed away, uh, that discipline basically subsided and having been restricted from the world uh, I enveloped it in a bad way I started hanging with a bad element I guys that were a lot older than me mm-hmm. uh, getting involved in activities that I had no business getting involved in at that age now when you say so are you saying more of the fact that you're 15 years old your dad passes, but so does the disciplinary yes. goes away as well. Yes. So your mom, not not right or wrong, wasn't as strict as your dad. My mom, you know, it's ironic in a way because my mom had been the disciplinarian. Really? Uh, in my childhood, yes. Uh, the thing is, she did the best she could after having been devastated by losing her husband, yeah, uh, she went through what she went through trauma. So she's probably trying to grieve, also trying to raise a kid in his as a teenager. Now we know what teenagers teenagers is the time where we really push our boundaries as kids. Yes. So she, I can imagine your mom, dad just passes. Now, do you have brothers and sisters? I'm the only one. So the only one, mom, trying to grieve the love of her life. Um, you're going through your teenage possible rebellion, but she's really trying to grieve, and she can't do two things at once, so something had to give. Well, her concern was before I became an adult, which was legally 18, Yeah, uh, she did everything she could while I was still under her jurisdiction to try to help me. Sure. And uh, including putting me away. She put me away, uh, and this is another irony that I'll explain in my life. Sure. A very pleasant irony, in sure. fact. Uh, she put me away in a place in Brockton, Massachusetts called Teen Challenge. Ah, that's still around today. Uh, I had just come th- from there. I just did uh, almost 16 months there okay. re- recently before I came. This is my second discipleship program. Oh, nice. Uh, and she put me in that program uh, as a last effort when I was 17 to try to help me uh, get back on track. Now, when you were now, when, when, just so we can understand more, what were you doing that was off track? Uh, drinking drugs, uh, getting involved with older women. I was hanging with an older crowd of men. I was 15, 16 at the time. I was hanging with guys in their mid-20s, even their early 30s. Uh, getting involved in things that I had no business getting Were you in. looking for someone to replace your dad? Uh, I saw other people? I, well, perhaps on a, maybe a subconscious level, I believe, maybe. Uh, or I was looking for, uh, I think on a lot of different levels, I was looking to identify with finding out who I was, you know, and yeah. things like that. And I found out the wrong way. I started uh, looking at, Bad role models. It's interesting. It's interesting you say that because I was talking to someone, and it might have been my wife. 
no one really knows who they are until they're like 30, 35. Because mm-hmm. when you're in your 20s, your teens, you're trying to figure out who you are. And there are sometimes, and some people, including myself, go down these paths. It's almost like we're testing the wrong part of life to see, is this who I am? But unfortunately, as we're going down that path, we may realize that this is not who we are, but we're already in the thick of it, and it's hard to get out. Well, I mean, that's the difference between having a secular perception and a biblical one based living on the gospel. Now, the world tells me at that age what a real man is, like real men don't cry, or real men don't ask for help, don't yeah. ask for directions, whatever. And uh, who's the toughest, who's the craziest, who's the, you know, the best with the girls. And what I, what I was doing was you know, projecting a false bravado, uh, basically trying to impress the people around me to show that I could be what the man what, what the world wants a man to portray himself as. Uh, as I got more involved uh, with the gospel yeah. and had good role models, sure. pastors, and people that, you know, mentors through the years that uh, expressed interest in my, you know, in my biblical upbringing and, 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 mm. and implementing biblical concepts and principles into my life, I learned that all these worldly concepts were basically uh, irrelevant to the fact of my identity in Christ. Okay. My, my life took on a complete... It was like a veil was lifted. Literally, a veil was lifted. It's like all this... You know, for one thing, everything I had learned was erroneous, wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I was never so happy to be wrong. Interesting. I mean, it was just breathtaking. It's like, wow, I'm, I, I can be who God wants me to be. It's not about impressing man. It's about impressing Christ. Uh, and I agree with that 100%, and I love that. But so we can bring the story to that point, let's do a little, little bit of catch-up here. Um, did you have uncles or anybody else in your life that, because maybe you were saying you were trying to maybe impress people, get the approval of other people. Did you have a male figure in your life at that time who maybe uh, carried you along or looked after you or well unfortunately uh, when I look in retrospect at that age my family uh, my biological uh, family aunts uncles and things of that nature cousins we were basically estranged okay so uh, no I didn't have any uh, I didn't have any proper guidance at that age. Uh, there were a few people that I had met. My mom, we used to go to the uh, Assemblies of God in North Attleboro. Sure. Or South Attleboro. And there were guys in the church that would express interest in trying to help uh, a young man like myself. Yeah. But I, you know, wasn't ready to submit. I wanted, you know, to the, I wanted to experience the benefits of living right and living, you know, and, and, and having God's, I wanted God's blessings, but, and I would say, oh yes, Jesus Christ is Lord, I love God, but if you love Jesus, 
then you have to obey him. Yeah, it's kind of like the verse in James where it talks about um, your faith in actions go together. Yes. It's almost like saying, I am a basketball player. I can play in the NBA. But when I get that basketball, I try to dribble, I try to shoot, I can't do anything with that. I'm terrible. Yeah. It's like when you say you love Jesus. Now, I'm guilty of this too, and I encourage you guys out there to really think about what I'm going to say. If you love Jesus, don't just say it. Prove it with your actions. Mm-hmm. And I, think that, I think that's what you're saying is that's, that's the part you were lacking in your life. Like you yes. can say you love Jesus, but if you're not, if you're not acting it out, it's, it's really worthless. To be honest with you, I was actually thinking about this as I got here. I was listening to a sermon by, I forget his name. Um, anyway, so what they were talking about was faith in action. And the first thing that came to my mind was, we always tell people, hey, I'll pray for you. How you doing? Oh, you're not doing too well? I'll pray for you. And that person goes, well, I'm down on luck. I have, I got kicked out of my apartment, whatever. And like, oh, I'll just pray for you. How about, yes, pray for them and then do something about it. Help that person. Sure. Put your faith in action. So anyway, so that's, that's where you're going out. So now you, you were doing the drugs, you were doing the drinking. What kind of drugs and drinking were you doing at that time? What was your, like, was it weed? Was it marijuana? Well, I mean, it started off uh, basically with alcohol, mar- yeah. marijuana. And I had been, uh, like most teenagers, curious about uh, other things and other drugs. And uh, unfortunately, that's the road that I traveled Yeah, for most of my adult life. Now, how... Deep did, were you in? Were how how much did it con- control you? The drug and alcohol. Were you heavily reliant on it? To get I was. The day? I was heavily. I was heavily. Well, later on in life, as I got into uh, other, like prescription drugs or illicit street drugs, and I became physically addicted. That was indeed the case. However, even before that happened, I had become psychologically addicted because really? it changed the way I felt. And my emotional growth had been stunted at that point because I relied on these substances. I liked, you know, I would weather through the storm with alcohol or, uh, or the, like they refer to it as liquid courage and, and other substances that were a reasonable fact similarly to that. And I didn't know how to cope and how to go through life without the aid of a chemical substance. So what was your low point? What was your breaking point where you finally said, I can't do this anymore? You know, the God I say I love, the God I say I want to follow, I need to actually put it into action and give him my struggles. Well, that's an excellent question, and I'm more than happy to answer it. All right. Uh, When I truly and earnestly came to Jesus Christ... Uh, For me personally, this doesn't necessarily have to be the case for everyone, but for me personally, I needed to be entirely broken. Uh, I had been homeless. I've been homeless many times through the course of my life for indefinite periods of time. Uh, This one time, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, maybe 40 degrees out. I was in the woods in a torrential rainstorm, and uh, I was shaking uncontrollably uh, from being cold 
and uh, probably because I needed a drink, because I was physically addicted to alcohol at the time. And I remember being in the woods for weeks at a time, never having a conversation with another human being. I would come out of the woods to get what I needed, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't interact with people. The only thing I had was I would pray to Jesus. So you were living in the woods for weeks at a time? Uh, yeah. How, this is going to sound like a dumb question, but I, I just have to ask this question. How does it feel to be a 15, 16, 17-year-old man having a house to live in? No, that wasn't, that, this is when I was in my 40s and 50s. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. So when you were younger, you had a house to live in. Yeah. You had a mother who cared about you. I'm sure she still did. You had food on the table. But then be 40 years old and then not having a house, living in a tent, not interacting with people too much. How are you feeling at that time? Well, these were signposts to me. Uh, as I had mentioned uh, in the very beginning of this podcast, um, the most valuable lessons that I've ever learned in my life were the most difficult ones. Yeah. Because... I needed to be completely broken yeah. before I would come to the realization that, you know, I don't want to be the captain of the ship anymore. Yeah. I need somebody else to drive. Absolutely. Uh, and that became acutely apparent to me when I found myself in those dire circumstances. Uh, God protected me. Um, kind of like you know, when I read the book of Job and uh, Satan the accuser of the brethren, said, well, I bet if you take this away from him and I bet if you, do, if you touch his body with sickness, he'll curse you to your face. But God said, okay, we'll, we'll see if you're right, right or wrong, but you cannot take his life. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was a, in a kind of way it might have been like that. Sure. Uh, I have been down in despair, in uh, you know, desolation, but he would not allow me to die. And uh, Did you feel like dying? Did oh, you yes, want to die? I had been sui very suicidal. Uh, I had made a couple of suicide attempts uh, where I should have died, uh, and I didn't. Now, when you attempted that suicide and you woke up alive, what is going through your mind? Uh, rather than being grateful or rather than looking at it conceptually that, wow, Maybe God does love me. No, I was aggravated. Uh, really? Yeah, I, I mean... So you just wanted to die. This is how warped my perception was. Yeah. I, thought, I definitely thought God had something to do with it, but I thought that he, he wasn't going to let me off that easy. Yeah. I thought that he was going to let me stay here so I could suffer some more uh, because of the things that I've done or whatever. I, you know, this is how Satan talks in your ear. Yeah. You know, and... And distance uh, distances me from God. So rather than thinking that God is not done with you, yeah, you were thinking God wants to torment you more. Yeah, that's pretty much the crux of it. Wow. At that time, it's amazing what Satan can do to people. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like you know, we've been in situations where we're just not there. I've been there too. We've been look, situations where we're just not coherently one hundred percent thinking properly. Yep. And Satan will get in there and say, you're not good enough. God doesn't love you. 
you deserve all the pain you're getting. Mm-hmm. You're worthless. Yeah. And when in reality, God says, I died because you, without me, you are worthless. Yes. Without me, um, you are going to go to hell. Without me, why do you want to live? And because God died on the cross for us, he has given us a reason to live, given us a reason to trust him. And he has shown us true sacrificial love because if you think of if, you, if we look at our sin, now everybody, I want you guys to just uh, just stop for a second. Everyone who's listening, just stop and just think about your inner thoughts that no one knows about. Everyone has a secret sin, secret things in their mind that no one knows about because they're ashamed to say. If you knew somebody who had the same exact mindset you have, would you love that person? Would you want to be around that person? Most likely not. But God died even for those sins because he loves even the darkest part of you, he died for and loves you. I just got chills up my spine. Wow. But that's the kind of God that we serve. He sent his son to die for the darkest parts of our life. When we say, how can God love me? He says, I already showed you. And that's kind of what, amen. And that's kind of what you went through with the suicide. You know, you're so frustrated. Like God, if you love me, let me die. Don't torment me. But God's like, David, I'm not tormenting you. I'm trying to show you I died for you because I loved you and I have a purpose for you. Well, they say God, only God truly knows a man's heart. Absolutely. And he knew mine at the time. And what he knew is that I just didn't get it. Yes. And he wouldn't allow me to die before I would get it. Mm -hmm. And I know know the thing is, is like, you know, (sighs) there's a verse in the Bible and I started coming here about 20 years ago. And actually, it was my youth group. We rebuilt, we knocked on all the walls, and my church built all the inside. And as a verse that we always lived by, it was in Matthew, it says, For Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You know, so many people think that we're on this earth for ourselves. We're on this earth to fulfill our needs. And that's literally the farthest from the truth. If you look at Christ's life, He wasn't rich. Actually, it says in Isaiah that he wasn't very good-looking. He was just a very average person. If you look at a lot of these pictures of Jesus on walls, Catholicism paintings. Yeah, they're sensationalized. Yeah. He didn't, according to the Bible, he was very average-looking. Yeah. Wasn't rich. He was a poor carpenter, you know, he served other people. Are you familiar with the shack? I've heard of the shack, the book. Yeah, there's an excerpt in there that I found amusing. When uh, Jesus was interacting with this gentleman, the character in the book, Yeah, and he says to Jesus, he goes, you know, he goes, Jesus looked at him because he was looking at Jesus rather odd, yeah. peculiar. Jesus says, what's the matter? He goes, he goes no, no offense. He goes, but I, you're the God of the universe. I thought you'd be a lot better looking. 
And Jesus looks at him and says, it's the nose, isn't it? He goes, well, he goes, after all, I am Jewish. He goes, and the, and the men in my mom's family all had big noses, so I guess that's what happened. You know, uh, the, I, I recommend the Shack book or movie to anyone that would be able to watch it. It's, it's extremely enlightening. Who wrote that book? Ted I Decker, I think maybe. Uh, I, I'm not going to be. I, I'm not even going to pretend like I remember yeah, yeah. the author's name. But the the book, the book and the movie. I have the book that I'm reading now, and I've seen the movie. Good stuff. Oh my, yeah, it really is. But it's true though. Like we expect, you know, the world to serve us. Yeah. We expect the world to fix our problems. But. You look at Philippians chapter 2. Actually, I'm going I'm to bring this up here because I think it's a really important verse to talk about here. Um, let me just bring it up here. Let's see, Philippians chapter 2. Now, I'm going to read chapters, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Is there any encouragement in belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together in one mind and one purpose. Here's a here's these next two verses are key. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out of the own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as I read that verse, I kind of think, you know, we're, we're not here to think of our for ourselves. We need to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. When he was on this earth, he served. He helped. He didn't ask people to do, to make him better, fix his problems, fix his issues. He went out to help people. You know, and I think that's kind of what... Um, you what was happening with you, I think you kind of realized, correcting you if I'm wrong, is that it's not about you anymore. It's truly about changing your life for Christ and using your life to serve Christ and help others. Well, what it boils down to, uh, what I've come to learn in my experience and what I've been taught is that we have the most, the three most formidable enemies that we have as Christians. One is the world and its principalities. Two is our own flesh. And three is Satan in that chronological order. You know, a lot of people think, oh, well, Satan, no. Satan isn't first. The world and its principalities, secular ways of thinking, uh, limited wisdom, uh, our own flesh, because we are spiritual beings encased in flesh and blood. Uh, we walk around in the, and it's supposed to be temples. You know, we, we're serving God, and, but we're born as individuals. And so it would be, it's an innate thing that we would want to get the things that we need. And then all of a sudden as we grow and uh, we become enveloped by emotions and feelings, we want to satiate those things with temporary you know, gratification, whether it be drugs, whether it be gambling, what, what food, whatever it happens to be. And we become naturally accustomed 
to living that way. We become, I became hedonistic, mm-hmm. you know, a uh, good time Charlie. And uh, it was those things that I depended on that eventually turned on me and caused me 10 times more misery than I was trying to escape from in the first place. Uh, God knew. God is all-knowing and all-powerful. Yes. He knew this would happen to me. Sure. Um, God chastises those that he loves. Mm. Uh, as a Christian and as a follower, as I made a conscious decision to become a follower of Christ, uh, there were things that I had to learn. One thing I learned that was paramount is like I wanted to get into, I said, well, I want to get into ministry. Sure. I want to, uh, I want to help other people. I want to, I want to get into teaching. There, there, there were things that, you know, certain gifts that God gives all of us that I want to utilize in order to serve his kingdom. And it was explained to me, that's not the most important thing to God. Mm. Not at all. That's all secondary. And it was explained to me that what God wants, first and foremost, is he wants me to be his son. He wants sonship. He wants a relationship with me. All those other things are gifts. Those other things are secondary. But he wants me to be his son. Absolutely. So you get to that, you get to that breaking point. You were living in the woods. You would come out every, just to get food and stuff like that. Yes. How did you get here to the Providence Rescue Mission? Well, as I had mentioned, uh, my, my first discipleship program, I went into a Teen Challenge in Brockton, the same center that I had been in 40 years previously in 1980. As a 17-year-old guy, uh, I went in there at 56, uh, November 4th of 2019. Sure. And uh, I was there until, uh, this is March 27th. Uh, I've been here a month. All right, so I'm going to say uh, February, the end of February of 2021. Yeah. And uh, I was in there with a gentleman who's one of my peers, whose father, Sean, run, is the founder of this particular place, the Cranston Street Mission. And he was telling me about how this program is and what they do. And so what Sean Carew. Sean Carew, yep. yes. And uh, which, incidentally, is a friend of mine. We have become friends. And uh, I became intrigued with the prospect of going into another yet another discipleship program. Uh, Teen Challenge in Brockton, uh, very stringent program, uh, Yet I was infused with God's word. It's, a, it's referred to as being a Bible boot camp. Yep. Uh, the place is extremely strict, but I refer to it as being like a crucible. And biblically speaking, we are referred to, we are likened to being as precious metal. And God is a refiner. Christ is the refiner. So in the midst of this crucible, our impurities come to the top, Christ skims them off. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, Jesus skimmed a lot of dross off of me, um, to, be on, to be honest with you. But it was well worth the trip. Uh, not only did I learn a lot about the word, but 
I gained spiritual experiences that were very difficult. There were a lot of difficult times there that I couldn't have gotten anywhere else where it brought me to my knees. I would be at the altar with tears in my eyes asking to get through and Jesus to get me through another day without me saying or doing something inappropriate. I had anger issues, uh, you know, things that I needed to learn about patience, perseverance, and temperance. Uh, and I learned, a, I, I gained a wealth of knowledge from that place. And now this program uh, isn't nearly as stringent, but it's biblically based. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love my brothers. I loved my brothers there. I love my brothers here. I can genuinely say that I love other people. And I do intend, my intentions have not changed. I will get into ministry. That's awesome. Uh, but it was also explained to me that every one of us as disciples, we're already ministers because, you know, when you go out into the world someday and you're going to your job or whatever activities that you, other people watch people. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why is this guy always so happy? No matter what goes on, you know, I mean, figuratively speaking, his house could burn down and he's still got a smile and a hug and a handshake for everybody. What is it with this guy? Actually, I want to say something. So years ago, I heard this quote. It said, your workplace is your ministry. Yes. We don't have to go overseas to be missionaries. Before I became a photographer and had my own business and whatever, I wanted to be a youth pastor. I wanted to work with kids. I wanted to be in the ministry. And maybe, just maybe, God could use me to be a pastor. Well, that didn't happen. But you know something? That should not stop. And just because God does not give you what you want as far as a quote-unquote, I'm holding up finger quotes here, ministry, that should not stop you from living and sharing the gospel with other people. Precisely. You know, it says in uh, Matthew... 28, the very last verse, go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. It doesn't say go be a missionary. It doesn't say go overseas. It says just go. You know, go to the ends of the earth, but in between, from where you are to the ends of the earth, in between is, a mission, is your mission. Like, you could be at the mission, doing well, and still preach the gospel. Sure. To be honest with you, you can be struggling and still preach the gospel to an extent because you have to show people, hey, listen, I may be struggling right now with something, but God's working it out. Mm -hmm. And just pray for me. Because sometimes as Christians, we don't let people know our struggles. We want to show people how perfect we can be. But a lot of times is if we're struggling, it's good to show people, hey, listen, I'm here now. I am struggling would you pray with me? Because God's going to do some great things for us. So you're back here, and uh, we're about just out of time. Dave, this is a great story. Oh, thank you. I really like your story. It's such an impactful, relatable story. So many people can relate to what you've been through because a lot of times, like, I guess, like you were saying before, you were trying to find your fulfillment in other things. For example, I remember I saw a video once where 
a guy had a cup. He cut the bottom of the cup out, and he put, kept putting water into that cup, and it kept trying to, f- to fill that cup, but it was never fulfilled or filled because the bottom was taken out. And a lot of times as Christians, that's what we do. We're trying to fill ourselves up with temporary happiness, and that our life or the void in our life is never, ever filled, but the only thing that can fill it is Christ. Precisely. You know what I mean? So, Dave, thank you so much for coming today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And I'd like to make one closing statement. Sure. Uh, everything in this temporal world is fleeting, Yeah. including life itself. Mm-hmm. Biblically, they say our lives are but a vapor. Yes. Jesus Christ is eternal, and I've learned to acquire an eternal perspective in God's promises. That's awesome. That, that's... That, that is literally a great way to end it. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming today. I really appreciate your story. And guys, we're the shelter. You know, we are telling stories of redemption, how Christ takes people from at their lowest of their life and uses the Providence Rescue Mission and other homeless shelters to really bring them back on their feet, to show them Christ's love, and really, as Dave said, show them how to change their life and minister to others. Guys, well, thank you so much. Until next time, talk to you soon.